Triple M Homegrown, Chris filling in for Matty O. Tim Friedman from the Whitlams is our guest today. At the time of recording this, Tim, you're about to play shows for one project uh, on the day that you've announced the tour for another project. You've got quite a few incarnations and creative ideas going around with your work at the moment. Tell me, well, we'll go through the uh, the shows that you're doing, but it must feel pretty liberating to be able to have these different projects and different ways you can show your songs off. It sure is. In winter, it's just great to play little 150, 200-seat rooms, and I do that with the piano and at a pedal steel player, and we call ourselves the Black Stump Duo. But today, as you say, we've just announced the Big Whitlam's Tour. We, we do a sort of national run once a year, really, and um, it's the four-piece with the great Scott Owen on double bass from The Living End. So we're getting to play our stuff from... Um, first three albums, 93, 95 and 97. And, um, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Those early years, those kind of first five for you. And that matches up with the time that, yeah, the living end kind of hit the scene as well. And now you've got this little overlap. Together. I remember at the time thinking, wow, there are all these double bass bands coming up because we, our songs like Goff and I Make Hamburgers and You Sound Like Louis Bidette was a, was a great Canberra guy called Andy Lewis, who's no longer with us, but he was a wonderful double bass player. And Scott, they were at the same areas as us in 98. And I remember them, um, us being sort of pleasantly collegial and saying they, they won one and we won a couple and we were just said, well done, well done, and shook hands. And so we're, we're of a certain vintage and yeah. um, it's a good match. Is that, is that the awards where Goff presented it? And yes, you indeed. And you got Song of the Year? Certainly was the highlight of my life. Thanks for remembering. <laughs> I went down on my knee in front of him. I, was like, I remember clear as day. It's like, it's my family. Yeah, I was trying <laughs> to get a knighthood. <laughs> That's why I went down on my knees. But unfortunately, I knelt down two meters away from him and he wouldn't leave the microphone like an old pro. Ah, yeah. So I'm not Sir Timothy. <laughs> would have been the second Labor um, honor. Would have only been Dame Ed and Reveridge and Sir Timothy Friedman. But I blew it. I knocked down too early. You're yeah, living ah. in, that was uh, their sort of big coming out as well. Uh, they won an aria and so did we. I remember being collegial with them and just say congratulations. And we've always sort of um, been a friendly acquaintances since. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lovely. And great that. I love with the living end as well. They're kind of branching out and having their own project. Like Chris has had a solo album last year and now he's teamed up with Jimmy Barnes for a new band. It's great that Scott's able to, while well, still, still playing the odd gig with his band, go and join Whitlam's as well. Indeed. I think he was probably, he, he probably thought, oh, well, will my bandmates be all right with this? And he probably didn't need to look any further than Chris, you know, experimenting with different stuff. And it'll be a good challenge for him, I think, because, um, uh, there's some, Andy was a lovely bass player uh, and, and, and Scott is too, but people always learn when they, when they learn another guy's repertoire, you always, uh, learn a few new chops and he's really looking forward to it. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, some of the songs would be, I don't know, the living end of always kind of, but don't, but don't like, <laughs> and you will have a couple more delicate songs. There's well. a few more lyrical, uh, bass parts. Yeah. But, um, yeah. two thirds of it's still pretty high energy. Andy was a great slapper as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the cat. I remember always having to stop at these shops around Australia and get more catgut strings. So they were very specialist, these strings, and you can only get them in five places. It used to blow our budget completely. <laughs> like a set of double bass strings would cost us 75 bucks in those days. That was half the gig. Bloody hell. Mm. Anyway, that's rock and roll. But um, <laughs> is that kind of freedom to move around with Project? Is that something that comes with experience or wisdom? Or did you, would you have felt a freedom like that earlier at the start as well? Uh, it, you have to get a bit older and a bit more confident in being able to communicate and travel with guys that you really respect. So my side project is more country music and I've got people that have won, you know, 50 gold guitars between them, Matt Fell and Rod McCormack. And so I probably wouldn't have been confident enough to lead a band like that when I was 30, 
but I am now, and it's a real challenge. They're all better musicians than me, but I'm in charge of the phrases and the chords, mm. you know what I mean? And, and I like, um, I, I like that role. Um, and I just love the flexibility I've got. I can go out with the country band with country towns. I can play with the pedal steel and piano duo, and then I can look forward to something big and exciting at the Emmore Theatre and the Northcote Theatre and the Tivoli in Brisbane with the four-piece Whitlams and try and give it a, a, a you know, bit of smoke and mirrors, you know, moving lights, uh, a spectacle yeah. as opposed to a uh, cabaret, which is what I'm doing over winter in the duo. Yeah, that's nice. One feels like red wine and... The other feels like a few more <laughs> <laughs> I guess, that, is it a different type of freedom altogether when you are in your early years and you're just kind of doing what's coming naturally, like making cracks about salad rolls? <laughs> is, it, is it a different kind of freedom, I guess? I don't know. Uh, well, well, but before you pop, before you start actually making a profit, um, well, you are free because you're, you're indulging in the folly of youth some ridiculously ill-founded ambition to become a well-paid musician. <laughs> so you, you know, you, we're, you're pretty wild. You're full of the devil. You get in the back of the car, you do gigs for nothing. You look back on those wild days, a bit like people look back on war. I think, you know, people say I had a good war in London in 1943. There was a freedom in the recklessness, but now it's a freedom more in, um, just trying to be proud of, of branching out and, 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 and respecting that people still come and see you and giving them something that's excellent and not the same as they saw 10 years ago. Yeah, that's it. So it's this love for what happened in the early years, but yeah, in a, in a new place, in a, in a time that's right, even all that time later. Yeah. And with this tour, we'll be playing some songs that I haven't done for 15, 16 years because the early Whitlam's, um, my colleague, Stevie Plunder, um, who died in 96, he sang half the songs. So I'll get to play some of his songs and they, he was a great songwriter. So he'll be doing songs like Follow Mine Tracks and um, some of his rippers from Introducing the Whitlams and Undeniably the Whitlams, which were our albums in 93 and 95. And, you know, the old true believers still think we're the best two albums, you know. Mm. Everyone always likes the early work. That happens <laughs> with, with so many of course. artists. That's just kind of the thing. I don't know. Yeah, have you got a grip on what the difference is between right in the early years and oh, it's just where it's in the middle years or whatever they are? Isn't it, Chris? It's just when people discovered you. I yeah. think, um, you know, the people that used to come and see us played 120 people on Thursday nights at any city pub in Newtown in 1992 have fond memories of being 19, being able to drink all night and still go to work. Mm. There are rose colored glasses involved, but a lot of people didn't discover us till 98 when we were on the radio or even 99 when Triple M started playing blow up the pokies and it was blaring out over the work sites around Australia. So, um, I find that our, our, our audience is came to us at very different eras. You know, there's the indie era, there's the, um, nephrodisic era, then there's the triple M, like your pokies era. So we, we get a good mixture and now, um, you know, we're, you know, we played a bit on talk radio. So, uh, you know, that, that fills my cabaret rooms. Nice. Mm. <laughs> it's good to have all the different rooms. Uh, talking specifically about, uh, one of those early songs, uh, would the character in no aphrodisiac find it easier or tougher now that he has a mobile phone instead of rummaging through newspaper classifieds. <laughs> yes. It's very dated with a cassette and, uh, yeah, and, the, and the fruity classifieds you'd see in the back of, um, um, picture magazine <laughs> or the, or the daily telegraph or the Herald sun. Um, yeah, well, you're quite right. It's dated. Um, he, I don't know, you'd have to look at his chat history on <laughs> Tinder or, or, or the, the dating app I'm on, which is twinge, 
which is for people with arthritis <laughs> who still think they can get out and about. Oh, it's got to be, there's a bowling club somewhere with people wanting. <laughs> no, that's even still now it's taken me, I don't know how you go if you need to read it off lyrics or you've done it so many times, but just getting the words of that last stanza out when I'm trying to sing along, it took me 20 years to remember how to do it. And I still don't know if I could do it if you ask me now. Nappy clad, brutal breeding. Is yeah, a, while his tongue wife rough wrestles with a puppy, all a quiver on a nine soaked strobe lit Asiatic call of mirrors. Well done. Did while it. his wife rough wrestles yes. with a puppy, all a quiver on a wine soaked strobe lit Asiatic call of mirrors. Well done. Oh, I got. I think I said night instead of wine, but that, that's <laughs> close enough. <laughs> but that, yeah, that was co-written with Pinky Beecroft. Is that right? Yeah, Pinky and Chit Chat von Lupenstab, oh, who man. I introduced to each other, and then they formed the band Machine Gun Fellatio. That was one of their songs in um, in production. In, they, were, they were in the they hadn't quite recorded it yet. They'd just written it, and I said, "Guys, I love that out those eight lines you've got at the end in that song, and I need them because my protagonist needs to go crazy, and you're crazy." <laughs> so we cut a deal, and they got a split of the song, and I've been singing those eight lines of theirs ever since. Yep, no, love it. Do you get into Eurovision Song Contest at all? Which might be a very bizarre question to be asked. I have um, never been one of those people that goes to Eurovision parties. Yeah. I think, um, I think I find pop a bit, that sort of pop a bit hard to listen to. Yes. Um, to be honest. But yeah. uh, it's certainly become a cultural uh, phenomenon. But it a bit it, of it a was thing. more niche when I was growing up. It was just... On SBS and you couldn't get the tuning right and it was fuzzy with lines across and black and white anyway. And why do you ask, Chris? Oh, because I thought of it when, well, whenever I see a guitar, I remember the lyrics you know, <laughs> of your song, thank you for loving me at my worst and has the time. Well, an example of being at your worst is trying out a guitar on stage and thankfully your fans still applauded you and then you put it away and go back to sitting at a regular piano. Yeah. Well, I'm not a great dancer. Yeah. So the subtext of that lime and I'm glad you're making me quote myself. It's very pleasurable. <laughs> it is. Um, what is it? Uh, bought myself one of them keyboard axes. Uh, what was the one of them keyboard axes? Wanted to dance away from the piano. Um, yeah, well it would be terrible sight. There's a few times when my piano is broken just as we're setting up for a show. Most notably the homegrown in Sydney in 1998. And oh. they said, Oh, your piano doesn't work. And I said, what? I'm out front. And I've had to go out the front and felt a little bit uncomfortable. And, um, it's one of my sort of shadows, one of my sort of fears. I think I should overcome it one day. So it wouldn't be, it's not a pleasant sight. And if you see me surf, for example, I look a bit like a, an injured mosquito standing <laughs> up. Well, as long as you're balanced. As long That's as why the band calls me one of my secret nicknames is the big old cat, because it's very ironically rendered because I am not a particularly graceful mover. Fair enough. I do not move like a big old cat. <laughs> and if you fell, you wouldn't necessarily land on your feet. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but no, Australia's entry was a bit more of a metal band and they had a guitar solo in the middle uh, and it just kind of rung a chord in my head. Fair enough. Yeah. Not often you see an Australian band with a guitar unless it's pseudo echo doing funky town or something. I might've like been influenced because I think Pinky actually in, um, explored one for a little while and I might've seen him in Machine Gun around 98 and, um, it might've just made its way into that lyric. Yeah. Nice. Another one. Um, if you don't mind me referencing another lyric of yours, one that I've held on to with my name being what it is was, um, Chris don't like madness, but madness likes him. <laughs> now, do you like madness? Um, I've always had pretty high tolerance for eccentricity. 
people will often say to me, how come you just attract, everyone thinks they attract eccentric or mad people, but I think I used to a lot. We had a band, Astrologer, for example, he's in that song as well, you know, Gemini's Love, Wooden Dragons. You know, he'd follow us around and say, oh, well, Gemini, Taurus and Two Sages, the same configuration as the Rolling Stones in 1968. <laughs> wow. He was the band Astrology. He was a, he was a homeless Tasmanian gay manic depressive. Mm. He was very, very marginalized and he was a great chap, very brave chap, you know, mentally ill, but you know, lived on the street. So he was, had to be brave and proud. He, um, he's passed on too, but, um, I did always like, um, a bit of madness in my mid twenties and late twenties. And I lived at the time you're referencing a song called you sound like Louis Bidet and Louis was pretty, um, out there. It was pretty mad sort of share house, you know, he died with the falafel in his hands type oh, of yeah. stuff. And that particular line is a, was well, a great friend of mine, Chris Abrahams, and he would always look very ponderous and quizzical when, when people were being outrageous. And so it was just a reference to Chris who um, played the second keyboard in the band in about 96 before he went off with Midnight Oil for 12 months and I lost him. Yeah. There you go. Because I'm wondering if, what, yeah, was that a reference to the band or... Was that? I was like, what's Chris's problem with madness? How's oh, no, it's right? just, it's just but, people um, ranting at him and yeah. pointing him in the chest. And yeah. it's about Chris, the, my <laughs> collaborator. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, great. I've covered that off. <laughs> a couple of decades ago, I had a great mate called George. He's passed on as well. It was a good, he was a good 10 years older than me. Uh -huh. Um, but not only did he show me a range of music that was like from like his era as well, but what he discovered before I had, but we also traded cultural information. He was from Sydney. I was from Melbourne. We all told each other about the other football code and all sorts of things. And you became the perfect intersection for that. Uh, he was sharing his Lennon albums with me and explained to her that I don't, I don't believe in Beatles, uh, from the song God. And at the same time, we're listening to you saying, I don't believe in Bondi. I don't believe in rugby league. I believe in Yoko and John and the lost weekend and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, this is great. One, I only realized that last year, a documentary called the lost weekend came out with, with May's story. Have you watched that? Uh, no, I haven't seen it yet because I overdosed on Harry Nilsson and, and the lost weekend and John Lennon about seven years ago when I had to research a one man show I did on Harry Nilsson ah. where he talks about his friendship with John Lennon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you don't, is it good? The May one? Well, well no, this is what I need to do right now. <laughs> it's on my list. <laughs> and yeah. So yeah, lost weekend, finding out more details about that. What do you love about that era? What do you love about John Lennon? What do you love about... Well, I had Imagine and um, the Plastic Ono Band albums on vinyl because my father owned them. So I, you know, developed my taste listening, you know, being 15 with the headphones on. And I loved that drum beat, the Phil Spector's production. And, um, you know, before that I'd been into Double White and, um, and um, been a Beatles freak. Um, later on, I was turned on to Harry Nilsson, who was a huge Beatles fan. Um, you know, I can't live if living is without you. That's Harry and everybody's talking about me. I don't hear a word they say. And he was a very interesting character. Um, and I did a one man show about him. Um, and so I suppose just the John Lennon solo albums were in my bones. And so when I was, um, writing that song, I just was thinking of him, him in that outro where he's like, I don't believe in the Beatles. I don't believe in this. And, and I, I was just, I was, I was just sort of always been confused 
in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, I get lost. So I'd beat a hasty retreat to the inner west. So it's just a humorous way of saying, um, I think, uh, giving my um, predilections, that's all. Yeah. Yeah, but I like the way that, yeah, that you can mention, yeah, things that feel really just local, not even a place like Bondi, but something saying something like rugby league makes you feel like it could be your story as well. Like you're walking the same streets, like you're mentioning watching TV and walking dogs and things. And just that I admire that type of kind of poetry where it feels real. Have you always been aware of that? I've always tried to put details in because, oh, I've always hated general songs about my general feelings about a, about a nameless girlfriend or a nameless boyfriend. And I always preferred, um, to listen to Bob Dylan or Tom Waits or Randy Newman, and they're very good on detail. And if you can do something which is very personal, that is, um, well enough expressed that people see themselves in it, then you're halfway there, I suppose. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that could be a good reason why, yeah, your songs stand up and people still love them. And even if it's about a cassette yeah. uh, <laughs> and the classifieds in the Herald Sun. <laughs> I'm, I'm, without getting myself in too much trouble, I want to say something like, we've all been there. <laughs> he was lonely, that fellow. And, mm. uh, or mad. Yeah, both. We're all, yeah. But let's not mad shame. No, no, no. It's fine. We all have our moments. If that's um, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so at the moment. Let's get into that. The project of yours, which is the Whitlam's uh, Black Stump Band. Well, there's also, yeah, there's the Whitlam's Black Stump Band and then there's just the Black Stump Duo. How, in one way, is that different to the regular Whitlam stuff? A lot of the same songs, but they sound, I don't know, a whole lot more of this image behind us, of like the red dirt and bush. And Yeah, I thought Australia. of it touring solo around Mudgee and Gunnedah and I rang Matt Fell, who's the, you know, Country Music Association producer of the year and said, Let's just do some country music sessions. So it's ended up being this band. Half of the set is Whitlam's redone. For example, No Aphrodisiac's done with a banjo and a slide guitar and um, Blow Up the Pokies was in 4-4 and down a few tones and there was also banjo and pedal steel driven. It's a lot of fun for me to give them a new life. But the other half of it are originals and covers by people like Neil Young, Chris Christopherson, um, The Grateful Dead. So it's... It's really just indulging my taste for roots music and Americana. Whereas the Whitlam's is, we play the seven albums that the Whitlam's have released in a, in a way that's recognisable to the people that own them. Yep. So, uh, so um, yeah, there's a, they're, they're different, um, they're different things. And Terrapai, the drummer plays in both, but there are three different, different bass player and different guitarists in both acts. Yep, and a chance to catch them all around Australia. Some One stage of each year, yes. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah, you're doing the, the Denny Ute Muster later on as well. Can't wait. That's, that's, that's going to be a challenge. Um, literally one of the biggest events in the entire country each year, and I'm sure there's so many people in the city that have no idea what that is. I've seen the footage. I've never attended, and we've got a 7.30 spot on a Saturday night, and I think it might be time that I need to get out from behind the piano. Hey, I'm ever going to do it. It's going to have to be there. Don't you think? (laughs) Yeah. Give the people what they want. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, enjoy that. Enjoy the tour. Yeah. Full Whitlam's band with Scott Owen playing bass from late September and all through October around New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, South Australia, WA even. Uh, Thank you very much, Tim. And all the best with all this creativity and all this traveling and please continue to do it. Thanks, Chris. And thanks talking lyrics. They're my favorite interviews. Because I I, I remember things that I didn't know I knew. There you go. Thank you. Fucked it out from the back of the head. (laughs)